we are going to do something today that's a little special. We're going to take a break from our series in Proverbs and begin walking through a reminder for some, an introduction for others, talking about who we are as a church. We're really creative and really innovative, so we're calling it a DNA sermon. If you've never heard that before, I know at any other church. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. It's going to be a lot of work today, Pastor Jake, but it's all right. We're going we're gonna to work through uh, we're going to walk through who we are as a church. And so if you are a member, I want you to be, have your heart stirred afresh as to what you said yes to. Amen. Um, if you are visiting with us, I want you to be introduced to who we are. Um, and if you don't know Jesus Christ at all, I'm glad you're here. Because hopefully we're going to show you a biblical standard to which you should hold us and to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we would ask for your help in holding us accountable to what we are about to say about who we are. Um, if you don't even know Jesus Christ, I want you to be introduced. Whether you leave this church and never come back, although we hope you do come back, if you go to another church, this should be equally true there, because this is not what we believe is what our church should be, but this is what God says his church should be. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you pray with me? Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Um, God, let us not take for granted this gathering on a Sunday morning. So many of our brothers and sisters around the world cannot do this in public without fear of punishment. So many of our brothers and sisters around the world are huddled in secret, in darkness, reading mere pages of scripture with fear of death over their heads. And here we are on a Sunday morning being able to gather publicly with resources and with lights and with musical instruments, with multiple Bibles, with technology, and yet it's the same God who is ruling over all and is sovereign over all. It is the same church, your church. Well, just remind us of those truths today, God, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 In the 1860s, there was a Swiss chemist. Um, chemist. Amen. Can we say French? Y'all didn't even catch it. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Y'all didn't catch it, so it doesn't count. Can we say French? Chemist. Johann Frederick Meischer, um, and he was one of the first people to isolate um, what we now know to be DNA. He was actually studying white blood cells and its, and its properties in the immune system, and so he was actually taking bandages from a hospital um, and scraping the stuff off of them and studying them, trying to, hope, trying to understand our immune system a little better. Now, he began to stumble upon something that was a little unique, a chemical that had never been really discovered before, something that had unique properties. That would be later known as DNA. And over the next 80 years, we would begin to understand the human genome. And one of the most remarkable discoveries in our DNA, although each one of us are unique, 99.9% .9 of our DNA is exactly the same. Between me and you, between someone who lived 100 years ago, between someone who's on the other side of the globe, 99.9% .9 of all of our DNA is exactly the same. But that 0.01% is what gives some people brown hair and red hair, what gives some people tall features and short features, what makes some of us a little bit smarter and some of us a little bit faster. I say I did that. Um, <laughs> that 0.01% is what makes all of us different. What makes all of us different. But at the core of it, we're about 99% the same. No matter if you may look different, believe different, no matter if you were born in a different country, you speak a different language, science says our DNA is about 99.9% .9 the same. That 0.01% is what makes us all different. And that's encouraging to me because that's a good reminder of what the church is. 
we should be rallied around the 99.9% of truth that we can hold on to. Amen? But we can worship differently. It's okay. People can sing hymns. People can sing a cappella. There could be a choir. There could be no choir. You could stand. You could sit. You could stand. You could sit. Or you could stand. Or you could kneel. All of those things are okay. Doesn't that doesn't make us a church or not a church. Those differences in worship, those differences in appearance isn't what makes us a church no more than that 0.01% is the only thing that makes us human. It's the 99.9% that makes us human. And it's the centrality on the word of God and the person of Jesus that makes us a church. So what does that look like in practice? There are many definitions of a church. If you were to go to a church website, you would see lots of different languages. You know, we are God's people gathered for God's purposes right? Lots of different things that are true. At Radiant Church, we say it a little bit differently. We say that we are God's family on mission. God's family on mission. This is more than just a a simple phrase. It really is three different components of what we believe God has called us to be. We are God's, apostrophe S. We are family, and we are on mission. And that's what I want to walk through today. There's those three elements of what we believe the Bible calls us to be. And the first one is we are God's apostrophe S. And that apostrophe makes all the difference. You take that apostrophe away and you end up with the philosophy of the world. We are all gods, right? You determine your own fate. You determine your own destiny. You do what makes you happy. You are the captain of your fate. But you add in that apostrophe, and what does that do, all my English folks? Makes it possessive. Come on now. Right? Makes it possessive. So what does it now mean that we are not just G-O-D-S, but we are G-O-D apostrophe S? How does that change everything? It means that I am not God. I am not the captain of my fate and the master of my soul. I am owned by someone else. My life is tied up in someone else. My life is just a part of God's great story. And so the beginning of who we are as a church has to start with an individual commitment to the surrendering of God's lordship over our lives. Let me prove it to you in Scripture. We're going to be through going through a lot of scriptures today. Feel free to keep your Bible out or look on the screen. But Psalms 24.1 says, the earth and everything in it. Where do you live? Earth. Just making sure. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Why? For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Genesis 1 and 2 establishes God not just as creator. He didn't wind up the clock and then let it go. God created us and now he owns us. He takes an active role in managing our lives if we would let him. Jesus was having a conversation with an expert in the Old Testament And he said this in Luke chapter 10. He says, And an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Pause for a second. Do you think the answer to this question is important? A man asking Jesus himself, What do I got to do to live forever with you? Let's see how Jesus answered that. He says, What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. What did Jesus just do? Jesus established his lordship over our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, even our obedience. Because we don't get an option to love our neighbor or not. Do these things, submit all that you are and all that you do to me, and then you will live. 
And now my theologians, I know it's not by works. I know the Holy Spirit does something first. Don't get, don't get caught up in what I'm not saying. But Jesus is establishing his supremacy over our entire person. What is left out of that formula? Heart, mind, soul, strength, body, obedience. What's left out? What do we have left over to keep to ourselves? Nothing. And that's the point. Jesus is establishing he is Lord over all. And if we would make him Lord over all practically, we will live. We will live. Now, most of us are not going to push back on that one. That one makes sense. God is God. We are not. I may struggle with it on a day-to-day basis, but at least I have the concept that God should be in control of my life, right? This next one's a little trickier because we're not just God's apostrophe S. We're not just his people. We are family. Something we say often here at Radiant Church that we are not like a family. We We are a family. Is that true? Do we act like it? It depends. But whether we act like it or not, it is true. Your child may disobey you, but he is still your child. She is still your child. So we can disobey our Father in heaven. We can be bad people as we oftentimes are. That doesn't negate what God has said about us. And he says we are family. Ephesians 1 and 5 makes this point really clear. It says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It was the delight of the Father in heaven to adopt us as sons and daughters. He didn't need us. He wanted us. He didn't need you. He wanted you. And this is the problem why this one is so hard, because most of our understanding of the gospel of what Jesus Christ came to do stops right there. That God loved you so much that he didn't let you continue on your sin, but he sent Jesus Christ to take the punishment that you should have taken. He gave you the righteousness that you can never earn, and now you are part of God's eternal family. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Is that all that Jesus Christ came to do, though? Is that the entirety of the gospel? I would say no, because if you were adopted as sons and I was adopted as sons, what does that make us? Makes us brothers, doesn't it? And so we are adopted by God, but we are not only children. We are adopted into a family. And that gives us rights and responsibilities to one another. Let me make it plain. Jesus was talking again in Mark chapter 3. And it says, Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside looking for them. Jesus was an only child, right? He had actual brothers and yeah, um, He replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus was creating a kingdom by creating a family. He wasn't negating our natural relatives. He was enlarging the circle of who we call brother and sister. You see, I'm the youngest of five children. I have two brothers and I have two sisters. And I want all of them to come and know the Lord. And one of the reasons I want them to all know and come to the Lord is because we're going to stop being brother and sister one day, if not. My natural brothers and sisters will not be my brothers and sisters forever if they do not know Jesus. Thankfully, some of them do. But here's the reality. If you know Jesus and if you know him and follow him, 
then you are my brother and my sister, and that will be true forever. That'll be true forever. So we can ignore it and stall it for as long as we want, but we're going to have to learn how to put up with each other, amen? Because this ain't going away. The, the bonds that Christ makes are eternal. That is how we can have confidence that he will truly save us in the last day. But it is also why we must know that the bonds that he makes within us and among us will last forever as well. And so we go from sinners to saints to siblings. Not just sinner to saint. Love God, read your Bible, have a devotional life. No, sinner to saint to sibling. A brother, a sister, a mother, a father to those who are in Christ's family. But that's hard, isn't it? Anybody have a, a really good, healthy family? Pray jam for real. It's okay. Don't be ashamed of healthy families. Child joke. Yeah, amen. You guys got a half, half and a half. <laughs> you know, um, amen. Praise God for that. Those still do exist, by the way. Really good, healthy families. People who love one another. But odds are, or at least the statistics say that most of us came from kind of broken families. Some of them were broken on the outside. Some of them looked okay on the outside, but were broken on the inside. And so our concept of mother and father and brother and sister has been twisted and warped to always not mean a good thing. You may be thinking in your mind right now, man, I got enough family. I just want to come to church. I just want to sing these songs, hear this little sermon, and go home. I got enough family. But the reality is that's not what you were saved to. You were saved from your sin, but saved to a family. And that's a package deal, y'all. You can't take Jesus and not take his church. You can't take Jesus and deny your brothers and sisters. That wouldn't work in your natural family, would it? Mom and dad, I love you, but the rest of your kids? Now, if you actually said that, you should repent. You should repent. But the reality is that's how most of us functionally look like, right? Our lives functionally look like, Jesus, I love you, hate your wife. Hate the church. Maybe I don't hate it. Like, I'm not going to say that because I'm a good Christian. We know we shouldn't say those kinds of things. But I'm going to live in such a way that says I don't really care for them that much. This whole family thing is an intrusion upon my already carefully laid plans for my life. Being a brother and sister is going to cut into my nap time. It's going to cut into my vacation time. It's going to cut into my financial plan for my life. It's going to cut into this, it's going to cut into that. And so we see being family as an inconvenience, and if we're honest, it should be. That's how you know you're doing it right. If it don't cost you nothing, you're probably not doing it right. Because we are still broken, sinful people. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You are a new creature in Christ, but you are progressively being made new. And so we still got issues, don't we? We still got some junk that we're dealing with, don't we? And you get two people with junk in community with one another, you get them close enough, long enough, what's going to happen? Be had. And we have a choice in that moment to be family or to retreat. I have a brother, and I've shared this, who's in a, in a hard place, but it doesn't stop being my brother. Whether I want to believe it or not, accept it or not, there is a responsibility that I have to him. No matter what he does, no matter how much he reciprocates it or not, no matter how much he abuses it or not, I have a responsibility that will not go away. Second Timothy tells us that any believer who, treat, who disregards their family is worse than an unbeliever. 
I don't even know what that verse means, but it sounds bad. I mean, what's worse than an unbeliever? Like, seriously, eternal separation from the Lord? Like, but Christ is saying, like, no, we have an obligation to our natural family that is big and doesn't go away, but we have an even greater obligation to those who are in the household of faith. And that's hard church, especially in a church like Radiant. We're making it hard on purpose. Y'all realize that, right? If we just had the conservative church or the liberal church, it'd be easy. If we just had the white church or the black church, it'd be easier. If we just had the stay-at-home mom church or the working mom church, it'd be easier. If we just had the rich church or the poor church, it'd be easier because we'd have at least more in common. But we're intentionally building a church where you have less in common with the people that you're sitting next to than the people you probably live around. And we did that on purpose, y'all. So it's hard in general, but where it's even harder here, that's why we've got to remind ourselves daily that this is what God has said, not what our website says. This was not an idea that Pastor Jake and I just made up one day. This is what God has said, and it is non-negotiable. I don't get the final say what Radiant Church looks like. Pastor Jake doesn't get the final say what Radiant Church looks like. We have no control over what God has said about his church. And this is one of those non-negotiables, to be family, to love one another, to pray for and care for one another, to meet one another's needs, to prioritize being around each other above even others. You see, when we call each other brother and sister, we're not being cute, we're not being fancy, we're not being religious. We're saying a true eternal theological statement by calling each other brother and sister. The call is to not just be it, but to act like it. So we have been adopted into God's eternal family because we are his people. But we don't just want to hang around each other and high five on Sundays. No, we've been called to do something. And so lastly, we are on mission. One of the questions that I had um, in the church that I got saved at is what happens next? Took me years to get saved, right? It was a beautiful moment. Finally turned my life over to the Lord. Walked up to the aisle crying, boohooing, had a powerful moment of experience with my church family. And I was like, all right, now what? And that now what question took years to get answered for me. It wasn't really their fault, it was mine. I had a Bible too. But it took years for me to really understand what God requires for me next. Do I just join the church? Do I just give some money, serve on a team? Like, what, what, what's the th- what, how should my life be different now that I've said yes to Jesus? Do I just hang out with Christians all the time? Like, what's the next step? What does it look like to grow and mature? And the shorthand version of that is to be on mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go, therefore, Jesus speaking, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, the whole point of why we gather every single week, y'all, is twofold at least. One is to celebrate what God has done Monday through Saturday, amen? There should be a joy on on Sunday mornings, amen? There should be a joy that the Christian has, even if circumstances aren't good. I'm not saying you're just ignoring reality. I'm saying you are anchored in eternal truth that God is still with us. Get paid from it's still for us. God is still in control. My body may be racked with pain. I may not know where that bill is going to get paid from. I may not know the answers that I need to have tomorrow, but today God is good and I'm around his people. And so we gather to celebrate who God is and what he has done. But we also gather to train and equip one another. 
because we've got a job to do. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, what I believe is the most succinct job description of the pastor, says he gave himself, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 11 says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now that verse did not say, Equip the pastor for the work of ministry, and people can give their tithe and say praise God. It didn't say equip the professional Christian for the work of ministry. It didn't say equip the person who knows a lot of the Bible for the work of ministry. It didn't say equip the extrovert for the work of ministry. I'm stepping on all the toes. I'm looking for them. It says equip the Christian for the work of ministry. Now, ministry is a word that we misunderstand. Some of you think ministry is just what happens up here, but I would even say that this ministry is more of a a training for ministry. Hopefully, what's happening now is you being equipped for ministry, not being replaced by ministry. So hopefully, what's happening is your affections for the Lord is growing, your understanding of the Word is growing, your commitment to the local church is growing, and then you take that with you back home, back to your job, back to your school, back to your friends, back to your relatives and you do ministry there. By and large, most people won't go into vocational ministry, and that's a good thing. We need more missionaries. Let me say that again. We need more missionaries. The IMB, the International Mission Board, one of the largest sending organizations, sorry, the largest sending organization in the world, has more money than missionaries right now. If you want to go, if you feel like God is stirring your affections to go to the foreign mission field to a people that you don't yet know, and proclaim the glory of God, there's a path for that that is waiting for you and open to you right now. And we need more of those to come and go. We need more ministers of the gospel, both locally and globally. But odds are the vast majority of the people under the sound of my voice right now won't go and won't do this for a living. So ministry can't be confined to those two things if that's not what most of us do. Most of us show up at a job. Most of us love family and take care of children. Most of us attend school. That's where ministry happens too, y'all. Buck's story that you heard this morning, wasn't, he didn't get introduced to the gospel at a church on Sunday. It was a co-worker who just sat down with him one day and said, hey, man, you want, you want to read the Bible together? Buck was like, huh? We ain't got nothing else to do. That's where it happens, y'all. And so being on mission does not mean quit your job. Being on mission means use your job. What if God put you there not so that you could pad your 401k? That's not a bad thing to plan. But what if God put you there because there are people at your job that's never going to come into these doors? Because they got to listen to you at least for a couple minutes of the day. Maybe, they work, maybe you work right next to them for a couple hours of the day. Maybe when they go through a crisis and don't know where to turn, they know about that person on their job who reads their Bible sometimes. And wonders, hey, does she have hope for me? Does he have hope for me? What if God put you where you are so that you could bring him there with you? That's what it means to be on mission, y'all. It doesn't mean quitting your job. It doesn't mean going across the, the water necessarily. It doesn't mean standing on a stage necessarily. It means wherever you go, whatever title you may have, taking God there with you. Being a light. Matthew 5 says it this way. You... You are the light of the world. 
A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's a beautiful verse. Because that means you are already equipped to do ministry. You can make an eternal impact on people that you don't even know. And it won't be because you have a degree. It won't be because you do this for a job. It will be because you recognize that you have a light of Christ within you. And all you got to do is let it out. That's what it means to be on mission. And that's who we are. This is our DNA here at Radiant Church. And if you're a Christian, really, this is your DNA too. This is not Radiant specific. We pulled all of this from the Bible itself. This is what God calls Christians to be, both gathered and scattered. So even if you're not a member of this church, if you trust in the name of Jesus Christ, this is who God has called you to be. And this is really good news, y'all. There are some who will hear this and be like, man, I got to, you don't hear, and I got to do better. Man, I'm messing up. Don't hear that. Don't let the devil take what is good and make it another law around your neck. Don't hear, well, I guess I got to do this. I guess I got to, don't hear frustration. Don't hear task. Hear an invitation. To be God's people means that you are in the hands of an all-loving father. And I don't know your story. I don't know what your father was like. Maybe you know exactly what that looks like. Maybe you don't even have a category for what that's like, but you have one now in Jesus Christ. Because you've been adopted into a family that now gives you new brothers and sisters, no matter what your brothers and sisters were like before. That gives you new mothers and fathers, no matter what your mothers and fathers were before. And that is good news. To be family means that you have people. That you are not alone. To be family means that even if you don't know the person of the names, uh, the name of the person sitting next to you, if you know Jesus and they know Jesus, you will be with them forever. And they are here for you. They may not know you, but God has put a love for you in them already. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does inside of our lives. If you had a broken relationship with those around you, you can find restored relationships in Christ Jesus. So to be family is good news, and to be on mission is good news too. It's not just another task that you have to do. It means that your life has meaning, value, and purpose. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something for you to do that only you can do? That everything that you've ever experienced, both good and bad, wasn't meant to destroy you, but to shape you into the instrument that God can use? Think about how that puts tragedy in perspective. Think about how that puts suffering in perspective. Those moments you thought that God was not there, he was actually at work. Those things that you ask yourself, why me? And those things that you ask about, why did that happen? God was at work shaping something in you so that you could be an instrument of his unique design. That's what that means, to have a mission. That's not another thing to do. It means your life has value. It has purpose. It has meaning. You are essential to the kingdom work of God. Do you believe that? God could have chosen any means to accomplish his purposes on earth. Jesus could have died and came back and stayed around. 
Like, all right, I died, I'm back, I got it. But no, he says, greater works will you do. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send you the comforter, the advocate. Y'all got it. Think about how crazy that is. I don't even do that at this church, y'all. Like, I give people stuff to do, but I'm like looking. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me just make sure. Some of y'all laughing. Y'all know it's true. We don't do that. I know it's true. Y'all on staff, y'all know it's true. I give, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, we, like, we don't do that in our natural lives. Yet salvation itself, Jesus was like, all right, I'm out. Y'all got it. Why? Why? Because the power of the Spirit in a billion people scattered around the world, Jesus thought was a better idea than him sticking around. That's crazy. That's crazy to me, but that's what the Bible calls us to. So don't just hear another law, another task. Hear the invitation to join God at work through your life. And if you are a member of Radiant Church, this is who we are going to daily commit to be. You wonder why Luke 9, 23 says that we must take up the cross every single day? Because there's nothing in this world and in this culture that says this is a good idea. We're going to be constantly pulled apart at the seams. We got an election coming up in 2020, I thought I heard, right? This culture is going to try to pull an intentionally diverse church apart at the seams. You're going to be tempted to go to the easier church with people that are like you, and if God calls you, go where God is calling you, but we're going to be pulled away, and we have to constantly remind ourselves that, man, heaven's going to look a lot differently than I probably would order my life to be. God might be calling me to do something in my life here that you probably couldn't work out anywhere else because I might be a little too comfortable. And so hear the invitation to see God at work in you and even through you. Romans 14, I'll end here. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Here's another invitation. We are all going to have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And for the Christian, there is no possibility of judgment. No worry, no fear in that moment. But if you are in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ and you have to answer for your life, fear is a proper response. Because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a just God. And you've been putting it off and putting it off. Hear the invitation to you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, don't hear a sermon that says, be nicer to people. Do more with your life. That's not your takeaway here. Your takeaway is simply trust Jesus with your life. Submit to his will for your life, trusting that it is better than your plans for your own life. That God actually created you and actually knows what he put you on this planet to do. And only by following him will you find true happiness. Only by realizing that you can't pay for your sins, you can't outwork your sins. At the end of eternity, there's not going to be a scale that when your good deeds are on one and your bad deeds are on the other, hoping that your good deeds outweigh the one. That's not how this thing works. Because your good deeds will never outweigh sinning against a holy and righteous God. But Jesus says, that I can do for you. So he lived a perfect life that we don't have to. 
He died the death that we should have died. He rose back from the grave with all power in his hands, proving that he was a sufficient substitute, and now says, anyone who trusts in me will not be thrown away. But anyone who puts their trust in me will never be disappointed, but will find life. All this begins first, not by being a nicer person, not by living more purposeful life. All this starts with Jesus working in your life, both for the believer and the unbeliever. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, in a moment we are going to stand and pray and sing. I would invite you to take a next step of faith. In a moment when we end the service, there's going to be people in the back of the next step station that wants to pray with you and pray for you. I'm not asking you to make a decision today. I'm asking you to take a step of faith today. And for the believers in the room, that's still our next step too. We can try to be better family members to one another and brothers. We can try to live on mission. But at the end of the day, if we don't trust in the power of Jesus Christ every single day, it'll feel like another law around our back. It'll feel like another task that we have to complete. We are called to do these things in Christ's power. Will you submit to that power in your life today? Will you let him work through you in a powerful way? Maybe a little scary, maybe a little uncomfortable, but I promise you there's true joy only found in the will of God, his will for your life.